You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft clipping, high gain, amp in a box style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com, that's summerschoolelectronics.com, and check them out today. Do you like podcasts that talk about guitar gear? Of course you do. That's why you're here. Well, you're in luck because this episode is the most gear-filled episode of the Tone Mob podcast that I have recorded in quite some time. And of course it is because I'm recording it with my friend, Mr. Matt Knight from the Guitar Nerds podcast. It's been a long time since he's been on. Way, way, way too long. This dude is a treasure. He is a treasure in the gear industry. He is one of the hosts of one of the longest running guitar podcasts on the planet. And while he is not a spokesperson for Boss or Roland, he is one of the most enthusiastic people ever to work at the company. I'm sure I've not met everyone that works there, of course. I'm just speaking from personal experience here. But Matt is an OG Boss fan, and he's been there for several years now. We talk about all that. This is a fantastic episode. We just basically nerd out the whole time, not just about Boss stuff, but about gear in general and I really had a great time talking to Matt, but I always do. Him and I just really click for whatever reason. We're like brothers from another mother or whatever you call it. Anyhow, if you're here for gear, you are super going to enjoy this episode. And if you're here for just two old chums catching up, you're also going to enjoy this episode because that's a lot of what's going on here. It's gear talk. It's nerd talk. It is wonderful. I so enjoyed catching up with Matt. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation as well. One small, tiny bit of business to get out of the way before we get into this. We have something pretty cool brewing over in the Gun Street world. So Gun Street Wiring, you know, has been a supporter of this podcast for a long time. If you heard the episode with Scott, Sean and I, you know that there's a Stringjoy Gun Street kind of merger thing that happened. We go into detail on it on that episode, which I will link in the show notes for anybody that is curious about that, and this is the first time you're hearing about it, blah, 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 blah. Anyhow, there's something really cool coming out, something that is cool to me personally, that I have some personal involvement in, and I think you're going to want to stay tuned to all things Gun Street this week because, well, there's something really rad happening. So stay tuned. I can't say too much about it as this episode drops, but I didn't want it to be late. So just stay tuned to the Gun Street socials, mailing lists, all that stuff this week, and you will be hipped to something really exciting for me personally. So anyway, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Mr. Matt Knight. Here we go. 
everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have returning Mr. Matt Knight. It's been years since it you've been has. on the podcast. And we're going to pretend like we didn't just talk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would be the case, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, we've, been, we've been riffing, and it's just been a long time. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen you face-to-face since Nam. 2020 mm-hmm. um you know you and you know i've been watching the 60 cycle hum um podcast and stuff uh, a lot more recently and just go oh man like just miss hanging out with my friends <laughs> i know um i know i yes and so, I, I i so badly want to get to the uk still and i like had some plans to do it yeah you know in 2020 uh which obviously did not happen so um one of these days we'll get that figured out um it's yeah. mad isn't it I, I mean i i have been i have been abroad since you know the whole you know all of the stuff that happened over the last few years but for work um i haven't actually been on like a proper like holiday holiday um overseas for yeah since 2019 I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, actually saying that, I did go on a cruise earlier this year, so technically I did set foot in another country, but I spent most of the time on a boat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, no, it's good to be back. It's good to yeah, be back. It's been so long since you've actually been on the episode. I remember I was actually on the other side of the room, uh, sitting in a completely different place. Everything was com- arranged completely differently. I remember the last time we recorded pretty well. And you actually hadn't been working at Boss. Uh, it had been a little while, but it hadn't it hadn't been. You weren't as established as you are now. I don't. I don't even think you were in the same role at the time. No, I, I mean, correctly. yeah, this is my seventh seventh year. My seventh year at yeah at, at Roland, and my twentieth year in this industry. I guess. Whoa. Pretty much since I was 16. So, um, yeah, it's been good. I'm glad I'm still here because I have no idea what I'd be doing otherwise. <laughs> I, I feel that. And I've only been in this industry for about... Actually, yesterday was my fu- my fifth year being fully self-employed in Has this it business. it's been that long? Yeah, oh, which man. is wild. And yeah, then uh, you were taking the jump. Or you, we were talking quite a lot of the cross nams and summer nams and i think yeah i remember you saying you were sort of taking the jump but really that long five years wow yeah five years and it's you know i think eight-ish years that i've been in this industry and so but it feels like a complete a complete other life i guess it was a complete other life but i i can't i similarly can't imagine what else i would do now (laughs) i know i don't i know it's so weird i i do think you know i was i was talking to 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 joe guitar nerds joe um yesterday and I was thinking back to we were talking about guitars um, as we normally do, but talking about specifically about selling high end guitars and limited edition stuff. And you think mm-hmm. how much social media and YouTube has changed the way that like we buy pedals or guitars. I mean, the only person I can remember ever watching video really that ever had videos on gear, you'd be like, "That's cool, that's new." Was Andy? <laughs> it was uh-huh. like it was like you had that. And that was it. That was your source of, that was your source of truth. That's all you had for 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 gear. And it's like now, it's like, 
it's everywhere, you know. Everywhere. And um, I guess that's why, you know, Nam was always so special and always so popular for every other year. I mean, I must admit, it must have been so cool to been at like, you know, some of the Nams, you know, in the 80s or whatever, especially when like the first Ibanez gem was revealed or the first time that, you know, Kramer announced they were doing, they were, had Eddie Van Halen as a, an artist you can't imagine being there and being like i'm actually here i'm actually seeing it for and you know that was taking months for that news to kind of spread everywhere else to be in magazines or whatever so um you know you sort of just forget how much stuff has changed in those in those last five years with all the like how quickly you can look at a new pedal and then the next day something else has come out and you're like oh i'm over here now forgotten about that one already so i mean um, doing chasing tone we literally have it's not always this way but fairly consistently we we always have news topics to talk about usually it's a gear release but you know sometimes it is just like oh this old guitarist said something silly uh i guess we'll talk about it you know but mm. there's there's almost always news to talk about yeah, yeah every yeah. single week and that's i think also changed not only the speed of information traveling but the volume of things to talk about has increased exponentially as yeah. more and more people have gotten into making stuff. And I think um, I think the great thing is as well is it has, you know, that that level of competition spurs people on to do bigger and better things. I think not just from a gear perspective, but from a player's perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I when I guess when I first started playing, like there wasn't youtube tutorials or anything like that you couldn't watch other people play unless you actually went and physically watched other people play or you're watching like kerrang or mtv or or whatever you know and now it's like you see you know kids that are like 15 16 like shredding guitar like doing all this like crazy stuff you know and it's just like man you know that 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 following and i think the way that people then learn off those people and then develop their own thing and then you know that pushes things forward because it's it's almost like they i almost think of it as you know they say that what the power of computing doubles every 10 years is that what it is or every five years i think it's five yeah and it's like and how that compounds into this like singularity of just like everything just changes every single day um and i kind of feel that with guitars like we've gone from for me, you know, my guitar heroes growing up was like, you know, John Frusciante and Tom Morello and Johnny Greenwood and this kind of like real rock and roll playing to like Tim Henson in like 20 years. And I'm like, right. wait, <laughs> wait, what? Like, how do we go from e-pentatonic to like, what the hell is this person doing on like this Ibanez, this custom Ibanez classical? Like, where are we going to be in like another five years time with with playing like someone's gonna come out who's gonna be even better than that person or have even more followers than that person and i'm just like where do they where do you take it or does it go completely back the other way and you just someone goes no three notes that's all you need and we're straight back at bb king (laughs) and that's it (laughs) i don't know i don't know i think i think there's always gonna be what i like about music in general like the music world as a whole Mm. right now is that everything is so fractured that there's more opportunity now for weirdos to actually make a living 
yeah, yeah in yeah. one way or another. Now, I'm not saying that it's better or worse necessarily than what you know. There's a lot of people who miss the good old days when you could sell records and actually make money, and mm. I do understand yearning for those times. But think about how few people sold records and made money. Like even mm. then, the people that were doing it, it was a small handful of people that were able to do it. Now, like really eclectic weird musicians can cut through and make actually make a living doing music it may not be you know a certain excessive rock star lifestyle that we've come to glamorize through our old 80s magazines and stuff yeah but the fact that there can be somebody you know screaming into their guitar pickups in their basement and making some sort of weird noise rock record and somebody's actually going to hear it that's insane Yes, that's, that's wild to me. And I think it's, I guess, kind of leads into guitar pedals and, and where we are with guitar pedals, because, you know, you you can make guitar pedals at home and you can, you know, use 3D printers and source parts and, you know, get really nice case designs done and do crazy stuff. And you can get that out there and people can see it and and enjoy it and you can build a following around that and i just you know i always think back you know when i first started working in stores you bought boss or electro harmonics or mxr and now it's like yeah you can walk into a store like you know i used to work in anderson's and you know there's a thousand different guitar pedals on the shelves and i think it's great because that's how you end up with old blood noise and chase bliss you know and you know if you think about jhs and earthquaker and how far they've come in the last 10 years but you can also mm-hmm. go to a show and you can see i remember talking to a chap and i forget his name but me and joe were talking about on the podcast a few weeks ago who started his own pedal company bleak district effects and like he was name. doing this cool like fuzz micro looper and it's like yeah i've just made it invented it and it looks professional it doesn't look like someone's just hacked it together right. and you know he's out there and people are using it and talking about it and sure he might only have a thousand followers on instagram and not you know a million or or whatever but i i think it's i think it's great that it is more fractured in that way because again that builds more competition you know people are doing something like that's cool i want to do the same thing i want to find out how that works i want to take it to the next the next level well you Um, can see i mean boss has a history of making cool, innovative things and, you know, kickstarting the whole industry in a lot of ways. But I can kind of see without knowing the internal workings that the all the craziness that has come out all the Chase Bliss, the Old Bloods, the Earthquakers, the the innovation that has happened in these smaller companies has clearly inspired some of the things that you guys do. You know, not that you're taking the ideas and running with them, but it's pushing Boss to do what Boss does on another level, I think, from outside looking in. Like, because you guys are releasing some insane things. Yeah, I think there's um, more to come. Yeah, I think foreshadowing. I, I, um, of of course, can't be an official spokesperson for the brand, but I think, you know, my experience of the last seven years, you know, and I'm sure I remember saying this on a, a talk with Boss that I did with with yoshi you know when when i first met him i said before i started working for the brand i worked in a dealer at this point and he'd just become boss president i think this was like 2014 mm-hmm. and i said you know i'm the biggest boss fan there is I, I loved boss pedals um that's all i lived for and i said but everyone thinks you're uncool 
You know, mm-hmm. I don't. You know, I'm still here. I'm fighting the fighting the fight. But so many people think Boss is uncool now. That was, you know, really that sort of that creeping up of all these boutique pedals. And mm-hmm. certainly, you know, Strymon, you know, we went from no one's going to spend four hundred dollars on a pedal to people coming in buying oh yeah buy a mobius a big sky and a timeline all at the same time and it's going to cost you fifteen hundred bucks like you know that jump seemed like almost overnight and um you know all credit to yoshi you know things like the wazacraft and pushing that thing forward and taking ideas and listening to people and doing stuff that's more innovation but also doing things that people said that we never do like look back on our history we've not reissued things but we've certainly um kind of looked back and gone actually what could we do how could we involve our heritage but at the same time bring it into the the modern day and i think the sde delay pedals that we just launched are a great example of that because yoshi was the original engineer Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you watch the YouTube videos that he put out where he's telling the story, you know, when he designed that, it was very much a kind of birth of digital era. And then he sort of looked back on it 40 years later and gone, yeah, it had a magic about it. Let's recreate that. But let's think about everything that we can do now without losing that that charm. And, and I feel that like seven, eight years ago, we would have never, we would have never done that. And I, I still, one of my biggest most favorite things that we've ever done is the dc2 dimension the the oh, yeah because mm-hmm. when i started and we were talking about was right he said oh you know what what would the next was be and i was like dc2 coolest pedal we've ever done and he sort of laughed and then you know we were talking about before and then one day they were like yeah we're gonna we're gonna do it and i was like unbelievable yeah you know and so it's <laughs> things like that i think where Perhaps, you know, having more influence from other people inside the business and having really enthusiastic product managers like myself who have like, you know, tuned into what else is happening and feeding that in and the excitement of what else is happening in the world and just being along with it. You know, I think we've always made great stuff, but I always think back to like the 2000s. The two thousand, mm-hmm. the early two thousands, always felt like a really dead time for lots of things. You know, music, especially. You know, especially in the UK, it was very much that sort of second wave of like, I guess what you would say in America is like EDM, but like kind of plain Ibiza dance music, and guitar wasn't really a thing, and it was sort of dying. And guitar pedals, and we had some cool stuff, but we also like innovated a lot. Um, in terms of technology, but those things sort of got forgotten. And then, you know, as we've moved forward, we've sort of looked back on some of that. Um, but yeah, it's been the last seven years. Uh, to me, I think, even from an outsider looking in, like Boss has had a wild ride, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. I want to touch on a couple of those points, but specifically the early 2000s, that's the time I look back on in America, at least like with such fondness, because that's when I was growing up and that's when I discovered punk and hardcore and screamo mm. and emo and all that stuff was mm. really getting huge during that time. And that's when I truly fell in love with guitar was at that point. And, uh, I don't know if that was 
maybe less less of a thing in the UK or if it was just the circles you ran in that type of thing or or what but to me that was a time that solidified at least in America a lot of current guitar players I know a lot of the listeners of this show are about the same age and really resonate with the, mm. when I get those type of bands on the podcast to get to do interviews with some of my old musical heroes it's like the the special moments for me but like those are the times I look back on is like 2000 to you know 2014 or not 14 but like 2010 or 11 yeah as like with with a lot of nostalgia uh and guitar is forefront in that for me so it's kind of a was it not like that in the uk um i i think so i mean I that's mean, when I, architects came up right it was about 2000 yeah I, I guess i mean the big the big bands for me really at that time were I mean, I was just massively into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, that, to me, like... And John Frusciante had, like, the... Especially when he kind of went to... By the way, had, like, the biggest pedal board out of, like, all the guitar players, and that's, yes. all, I cared, that's all I cared about, <laughs> you know? And, and certainly then getting into Radiohead and, and you know, all of the cool stuff that, like, Tom Morello was doing. I was, like, a massive new metal kid, I guess. Uh, so all of that stuff around that point and then getting into like incubus and mike onzinger and again like pedal pedals drove me more than guitars at that point i guess i just mm -hmm. loved the idea of like all of this stuff um and actually you know to be fair we had we had quite a few strong releases which i'm looking at a I guess anyone listening, if you was in front of a computer, you could pull this up. But on the Roland website, if you put history of Boss Compact Pedals, that's a great timeline that um, one of my colleagues did uh, way before I started. Went up to NAM 2013, which is when we launched our 100th compact pedal. Wow. And uh, if you'd look at the timeline between 2000 2010, you know, we made... I remember buying these two pedals probably around that same year but md2 the mega distortion and the bf3 flanger we still make them now mm -hmm. and you just think wait they're 21 years old <laughs> i'm like how how is that possible you know youtube is and it's crazy because it also has some like iconic moments in time but you know youtube was launched in 2009 right Wow, you know, it's it's and I think it comes back to that. Like you had to go to your guitar shop to find out what was not even what was new. It's just like, oh, can I try a flanger pedal? And they're like, yeah, we basically stock a boss one. You're like, great, boss is great. That's the only thing I can see. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I certainly think for me, like once you get past that point, like 2010, like there's a few pedals that I think people sort of forgot about a few pedals that we still make now but then we had things like the te2 yeah that was our 100 leather compact in 2013 and i think that is our biggest hidden gem i think if you launch that now more people would look upon that pedal more favorably because it does something a bit more out of the ordinary and i think at the time like 10 years ago people were like what am I ever going to use this for? And it's like this is now the Terra Echo, right? Loads, yeah, the Terra Echo. Now loads mm -hmm. of people would great create great music using that pedal. We still make it, um, and I just think I think that was a pedal that was realistically was just too ahead of its time. 
And I and I think personally, I think we've had quite a few of those over the years. But that strikes me as one of the last the last compacts. I'm like, that's definitely. I think if you launch that now, people would be like, this is super cool. Maybe that's what you need to do. You don't need to necessarily launch it, but you need to like put a put a push behind it because mm. that is one that has came up. You know, at the end of every episode, I always ask, you know, what is your favorite boss pedal? And that pedal has came up a few times and people do view it as kind of a a sleeper in the lineup. And uh, there's yeah. no reason it needs to be because it's great. Yeah. And I mean, even things like the flanger, like the BF3, I remember I had that on um, on like layaway. You know, so I like mm-hmm. I went in like every week and I used to cut grass with my granddad and then I used to get like, you know, 10 pounds, whatever. I used to go in over the course of a few months, like basically paid a bit off and I got this flanger home and had like step flanger and all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, it's nothing that, you know, did anything. Cl- the closest thing was to a flanger I tried before was an electric mistress. And it's this huge metal box and it just, it did like one sound. Then you're like, this does mm-hmm. all of these other sounds. Um, and then I also think, just we were talking about this on the Guitar Nerds podcast, but if you just go on to Reverb now and you look at the price of some of the boss pedals that have been discontinued in the last 10 years, how much mm-hmm. money they're going for. And uh, you realize that, yeah, some of these things just fly under the radar. And then everyone's like, when it's gone, everyone's like, no, oh, that was cool. Now I'm going to buy one. And now everyone oh, wants one. Oh, man. It happens with everything. With any mm. brand that is of note, if mm. if you discontinue something, the price goes up. I remember buying the Chase Bliss Spectre, uh, yeah. which is a, a really wild pedal. And it's not without it's I get some people don't like how noisy it is. And I, I understand that. But I use it with so much fuzz that anything's going to yeah. be noisy. doesn't matter. Um, but I remember buying that on discount uh, when when PGS was going out of uh, out of business, basically. Well, they didn't go out of business. They were bought and they were their inventory was liquidated. But um, I bought it for like 270 bucks or something. And I love that pedal. I, I mm. think it's kind of a it's it's a weird one and it takes a little bit to get your head around, but I absolutely love that pedal. But when I was seeing them go for between, you know, some some people were asking a thousand dollars for them. And it was simply because it didn't Mad exist man. anymore. There's no other reason for it. It's not, you know, if Joel could have sold it for a thousand dollars, I don't think he even would have, because it's not in his uh in his spirit to do so. But it's just wild how like nobody wanted that pedal and that's why it got blown out. And then all, all of a sudden it's gone. Now it's a thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. And that's why I don't, I try not to sell anything. Uh, and I've, you know, cause I've <laughs> definitely, I've definitely had stuff where I'm like, I shouldn't, shouldn't have sold that because I know it's going to be worth a bunch of money. You know, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm sort of, um, well, it's, I, I think you're the same with the Ibanez 7 series, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, you've got all of those now? Almost. Almost all of them. Yeah, not not uh, quite. And you, you get to that point where getting a complete collection is super difficult because there's one that just is way more expensive than all of the other ones. The, the <laughs> lo-fi. Like... Yeah, the lo-fi is the really expensive one out of that. And I got really lucky, and my friend just sold it to me for what he paid for it. So... Because uh, I remember, yeah. I remember there was a great guy that used to work with uh, when I was at GAC in Brighton, and he used one, 
And he was like, yeah, it just makes everything sound terrible. And I was like, why would you want everything to sound terrible? And it's like, we're now in the era of guitar pedals that are specifically designed to make your guitar sound <laughs> terrible is the wrong word, but, you know, incredibly lo-fi. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like you say, now they're just like crazy money. I mean, when I did the complete Dan Electro, like, food series, you know, that, mm-hmm. that was at a point where some of them, you know, certainly the PB&J delay and the Rocky Road rotary speaker you know people were starting to get you know 75 80 pounds for and you're like that's crazy these like came in plastic containers and cost 20 bucks (laughs) um but i think we are at that point where some of these pedals certainly from our childhood like everyone wants them and now and and now the money is crazy i mean it's the same with i've become a bit of a i wouldn't say vinyl nut because i'm not into like of all of the super you know i don't know all of the labels and all the numbers and the pressings and i haven't gone super deep but you know if i want vinyl from the records i listen to when i was 15 or 16 they're crazy money mm-hmm. because they yes. didn't make many because 20 years ago no one was buying vinyl so w- why would you have bought one realistically at that point now they're crazy i mean i've got a copy which i thankfully because of a friend paid nothing for, but I've got nice. a copy of Deloused in the Comatorium from the Mars Volta. The first pressing, they Whoa. didn't make many, and they were a brand new, they were a brand new band at that point. That's like a five hundred quid vinyl now. You know, I was like, oh, I really want. Um, what was I listening to the other day? I was like, oh, I really want the first three Limp Biscuit records on vinyl. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, if you want to buy chocolate starfish on vinyl that's going to cost you like 200 quid is it really like, Whoa. yeah i'm like mm, is it worth it i'm like maybe maybe <laughs> maybe. It might be. It might maybe. Be. <laughs> um but it's like it's I, I mean i was in a record store and um songs for the deaf queens of the stone age like 150 quid wow yeah i can listen Man. to it for free on Spotify, but I'm like, oh, it's cool to end a final. And I think that's the same with pedals. Like, there's definitely things from my childhood now where that they are getting to that money. I think one of the pedals that stands out for me at that point is probably the Deluxe Memory Man. Yes, I was going to say like, that same one. Yes, because I remember that was like the coolest looking delay. You know, the big box one, and they're like. I, I actually the prices on those are fluctuating quite a lot at the moment because I think the bubbles almost burst a little bit on those. But even the other ones, like the that came in the more solid box afterwards, like um the Memory Man TT or the eleven hundred, they're going for like crazy money. But the big box deluxe memory man for me stands out as one of those pedals. It's just like you know, they came in a crappy wooden box and they were always half broken and missing a power supply. And then they just sort of slowly got more and more because everyone's like, I remember that big pedal from when I was a kid and I want one of those. And everyone says they're really good. And, you know, it's like 700 quid for a pedal. It's funny that you brought that up. I just sent you a meme I made the other day, which is, oh. uh, which is oh. great for podcasting. But you can go ahead and read that out for the audio only people. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Me, when I find the person who spent all my money on music it, here. Okay, swipe to the, the next one. Oh, okay. Hold on. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, wait, hold on. I'm not on Instagram on my phone because I'm oh. off social media. Oh. Um, but it might I can, load. I, I can fix load. this for you. This is great podcasting. But it's, it it's relevant to our conversation. Here we go. I'll just send you the image. What, um, while you're doing that, what is the one... What do you think the one thing is now that is going to be the next big thing, Mm. do you think, in the future? I think anything that is based around um, advanced analog stuff. Yeah. You know, some of the, like, you know, the Thermae from Chase Bliss, I think will probably be one of those ones. I think that's got a lot of hype on it, Mm. but I think in several years... Like there will be some people who want the original Thermae. They want the original run of the Thermae because there's been some some tweaks here and there, or the Tonal Recall. Especially since I don't think they make the Tonal Recall anymore. No, did, did uh, they discontinue that? And then they I think focused they just on the Thermae, right? Mm-hmm. I think mm. some of those things uh, from this era, the the ones that took analog technology and really advanced it, mm. I think, are going to be really sought after in years to come. Because mm. no matter what, you show these things to a guitar player, especially when those first came out, and people just started salivating, you mm. know, without even really knowing what it was. And I wonder if it might still have that same impact in the future, because things are going more and more digital. And I don't necessarily think that's bad, but I think there's always going to be a certain subsect of people who want that analog experience, whether that's people who collect vinyl or people who like to play tube amps. Or whatever it is, I don't think any of that stuff is ever gonna go away. No, and I I think the stuff that can be easily or readily integrated into the digital world that also uses some of that old tech is mm. probably gonna remain val- uh, valued by a lot of people. It's- Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. 
you'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off their already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think, you know, like you like you were saying about how fractured music is, which is a great thing in some respects because it allows lots of people to get their voice out there, whether they're getting a million downloads or a thousand downloads, like they that it creates more sh- subgenres of music and more people can listen to things and find new experiences. And it's the same with pedals. There's lots of different fractures of pedals and lots of people making pedal companies. But in some ways it adds lots of those have little future value because there's so much out there mm-hmm. so it's harder to understand or think about what is going to have the most future value i mean it's always yeah. impo- like when i worked in guitar stores everyone was like what guitar could i buy now that would be worth a fortune in the future and i was like <sighs> well if i knew that I would have already bought it. (laughs) But then, you know, as I was saying to Joe a few weeks ago, who would have thought that you could have bought an American Standard Strat in 2000 and it's be worth more money, only by a few hundred pounds, but more money than you paid for it in 2000. Right. You know, you've literally probably played it for thousands of hours and you've lost no money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's amazing, but I think that's, that is definitely going to be harder in today's pedal world, purely because I think there's less things that are stadium fillers versus the guys making great stuff, but only a few people are, are hearing it, perhaps. That's true. And pedals are always... They suffer from the same thing that strings do, and this is something we... It's a little easier, but... You know, you still you look up a, a stage and you see somebody playing a guitar and you see it. You can see somebody playing a guitar. Right. Mm. Uh, and, and so you can immediately have an attraction or not to that instrument. Mm. It's like, so how many Les Pauls did Jimmy Page sell? Millions, you know, mm. millions of them. How many Stratocasters did Hendrix sell? Millions of them because mm. you could see them playing it. Yeah. And that elicits a response. Yeah. I mean, even in the in the last few years, the answer to that person's question is what what guitar can I buy that's going to be worth a lot in a few years? It's like, OK, um, whatever the most popular rock artist of the time decides to play next, basically, is the answer. So it could be anything, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. so I bought my I've told this story before, but I bought my Les Paul custom. It's an 81. Mm. I bought it probably I want to say probably six years ago or so. And I paid 2,100 bucks for it, which was about fair market price at the time. Mm. Um, and along comes this fella named Adam Jones uh, and releases the custom shop 79 uh, silver burst, Les Paul custom. And I don't remember what they were going for initially. I want to say they were something like seven or eight grand mm. or maybe, maybe a little bit more. And then overnight, every Les Paul custom from 78 to 83 just skyrockets in price the white ones like i have a little less so but anybody mm. that had a silver burst those things instantly they were they were asking 10 twelve thousand dollars for them imagine it absolutely but, crazy but even mine the white one which is not the adam jones one still got inflated those things i see i saw an 81 or excuse me an 82 and an 83 side by side in a shop the other day they were both over six and a half grand and i was like madness I, 
I love that guitar, but there's n- there's no way that I'm buying it for six and a half grand. Mm. I'm not. So mm. yeah, <laughs> uh, I I got lucky on that one. Yeah, and I think I guess in some ways that yeah, you could say pedals. You know, things like rig rundowns and being able to see what people use because if you're standing on stage, you can't see what pedals people are using. If you're watching someone in a stadium or a, or a big gig, like you're never mm-hmm. gonna you're never gonna see. Uh, and I guess, like you say, it's the same thing with with strings. You need people to talk about. It, you need people to show it off. And I think it's it's definitely where someone pulls something out of the bag, and you're like, and they're really popular. That's when those things those things definitely rock it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, like you know, one thing that strikes me as crazy in terms of price, I don't know. I mean, how big are origin effects in the US? Are they sort of- uh they have they have their um how should I say this? They have their home runs, right? Everybody mm. wants a slide rig, everybody wants the Cali 76. Mm. Uh, but even that, some of that's in like influenced by by whatever. Like a lot of people want the big box Cali 76. Well, that's you know. the thing, because I, I was going to say, like, you know, I think they make some great pedals and, you know, they're expensive, but they're well manufactured and well machined. But this DCX whatever... boost I, I just got is blowing my mind. I'm absolutely in love with it. But that's yeah, a story I, for another I time. Need to get, I need to get hold of one of those. But those original Cali 76s, they're like over a thousand bucks secondhand. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know where that came from. Like, I, is it just that people want those really early ones because now they're you know, now that they're more established, everyone's like, oh, well, I could play a modern slide rig, but actually what I want is this totally impractical, massive one. <laughs> um, there's something, there's some sort of X factor with certain things, right? Like, I love my, I have a, like, transi- transition era, big box Russian Big Muffets. Like, the era in, in between when the box was still giant but they hadn't gone to the slightly smaller black oh, box yeah. yet. Yeah. You know, it's right right in that in between the the official green and the bl- the new black smaller black box. Yeah. I absolutely love that pedal and it gives me great joy to just pick it up and look at it and then mm. it sounds incredible when I plug it in. But I would never take it to a gig. It, yeah. It's too it's too finicky. Like it's too uh, yeah. I'm like I don't know. Uh, no. I but there's something really cool about having that giant impractical metal box. I have a few actual tape delay units that are huge. One's huge, one's not huge, but they're both mm. finicky and impractical. I would never take them to a gig, but there's something about having some of this stuff that just makes me happy, even though it makes absolutely no sense. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've used a Deluxe Memory Man for years, and I've just taken it off my board in in and replaced it with the... SD three thousand. It's sort of become my main main guitar pedal. I'm like, I love it, but I've always had it in a loop switcher because if I step on it, it will die. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've also got one of the V one series Electroharmonics Holy Grails. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because Prashante fan. And every time I plug it in, if it doesn't have its own power supply, it really squeals. And sometimes the switch <laughs> doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, just look at it. That's fine. That's um, fine. It's beautiful. Look at it. You know, and I've and I've got a few of those, a few of those things where you just like, yeah, I like having it, but it's it's um 
it's too impractical. It's just too I, impractical. I do think some of the origin stuff, and I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but I think some of the drivers of the big box origin stuff is that those got popular because they were used by certain people. Mm. Like Jason Isbell's really popular over here, and he famously has a side rig, I think. And I believe it's a big box, if I'm not mistaken. Right. You know, so sometimes all it takes is somebody that people respect, whether they're right or not, saying that one's better than the others. You know, mm. even if they're identical, if if somebody that you musically look up to and respect says, I think this pedal's better. You're like, well, I guess it is. You're you yeah. and I'm I'm me. So you must be right. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's that is the thing. And I and I and I and I, I think that's the glorious thing about it all, because, you know, I want an electroharmonic 16 second delay Oh not yeah, because not, not because you know I'm I need another looper or delay pedal in my life, but it's because the people who have used it and you watch, um, why is his name escape me? Um, Niels Klein. Yeah, Niels Klein use it, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, why wouldn't yeah. I have one? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's why they're like eight hundred bucks. You know, it's like they didn't they didn't make that many. They weren't very popular, but you see someone using it, you're like. Yeah, I could do that with something else, probably, but it's not as cool as having but the I actual can't thing. Put my elbow on the sliders with anything else. That's the only thing I can put my elbow on the sliders, like Nels Klein does. Yeah. So yeah, you know, um, you know, every time I have, I, turn... I have the reissue, and so this is how dumb I am. I have the reissue that came out sometime in the I think early two thousands of the sixteen yes. second digital delay. Yeah, and for because. I'm an idiot. I want the original one, but I have the reissue that does the same thing. Actually, yeah. does it? It does it easier and better in some ways. But for, I still kind of want the original. I mean, it's, even it, the even the reissues are so hard to get hold of. So hard to get. Hold I didn't of. know that when I got it. I got it's another one I got very lucky on. I just happened upon it on the sh- in a shop, and I was like, "That's the thing that Nels Klein uses," and bought it. Yeah, so. it's um. That that's definitely one on the on the list. But the thing that I've been, uh, I'm I'm also a firm believer. If you want something like that, the best thing to do is wait, because you know the universe, in its crazy and twisted ways, always brings those things to you at the right time for the right price. Because eventually, like if you've watched eBay or Reverb or you know, I guess you guys have craigslist you know long enough like something comes up at like an unbelievable price because someone doesn't know what it is or they're just like i just need to sell it um rather than jumping on the first one that you you see um and they event they eventually they eventually come up but sometimes you have to wait a long time but i've been doing the same thing with the big box moog pedals you know because oh yeah a few years ago i had the freak box which is their oscillator and the ring modulator sold them both wasn't using them too massive and impractical and then you know tripled in price in the last because they stopped making them because they stopped making them (laughs) and no one's realistically using them anymore um but i've been i've been slowly slowly the like picking them off but they're, they're fluctuating in price but the delay is you know, to get the complete collection, the delay is the one that stalls you from getting the complete collection. Yep. Because um, I follow a, quite a lot of like retro gamers. You know, people are like, oh right, I want a complete 
you know, inbox PlayStation 2 collection, and there's like one game from Japan that costs like three thousand dollars and you're like well i'm just never gonna get i was like i might have spent fifty thousand dollars getting every single other one but it's like three thousand dollars in one go is just too much and it's like those that big box mode delay they're like fifteen sixteen hundred pounds you know like over two thousand dollars almost bought one of those so many times so many times and i'm sure there's millions of other guitar players that have the same story mm. but like I've heard a million times, I remember hearing it from Paul Reed Smith and, you know, now having been in business for a little while, I totally understand this in a way that I didn't when I was, you know, just more, more of a consumer. Mm. Uh, if there was, if there, if people were buying them, they wouldn't have discontinued them. Right. He, yeah. I, I, Paul, Paul was asked uh, in an interview that I was kind of a part of why they stopped making XYZ guitar and he was like, because you guys quit buying it. Like if we <laughs> if it yeah. was selling, we'd continue to make it. Like, so obviously Moog either had some, either sales weren't where they needed to be or they couldn't get parts or some mm. combination of all of it. You know, uh, obviously sometimes we don't know what we want <laughs> until we can't get it, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of, uh, as as we're talking and I've got you on a separate screen, I've got Reverb in front of me and I've sort of, I think you're lucky that um, the hard thing for us buying gear in the UK is that we kind of really need to buy it within the UK because of the import taxes, like once you ship anywhere else, mm-hmm. um, where it's obviously you've got a much bigger place in the US. And I'm sort of going from most expensive to least expensive in terms of guitar pedals. And there's a, the trend with things that are really expensive is they're also massive. <laughs> like physic- <laughs> physically in terms of size everything that is over 1500 bucks is just huge what do we got um, what are you looking at so obviously there's a lot of space echoes on there i don't know if you can really count that obviously they are massive but you know I, it's clons a lot of clons mm-hmm. obviously super big uh binson's again tape echoes they're kind of yep. expensive um there's a lot of clons for sale in um in america and they're all crazy prices uh then you've got things like old fuzzes like zonk machines fuzz faces like you can buy those kind of things in smaller more practical boxes these days um rack units we won't count rack units old univibes again massive huge um old way huge couple of way huge pedals again the old ones massive mm-hmm. um what else have we got here? Mutron pedals, massive. Love massive. tone pedals, uh, Moog pedals. Um, so it's all that kind of stuff. And you're like, maybe it's just people making pedals that are too big. Pete Cornish. <laughs> Pete Cornish, again, a huge. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, again, it's it's difficult because sometimes you look at those and go, are they actually selling for that much money? Um I will say I, I bought a Roger Mayer Octavia in the rocket enclosure. I oh yeah. bought that. I bought that only because it was in a rocket enclosure. It's yeah. huge. It's completely impractical. It makes absolutely no sense to put on a pedal board. But you know what? It's in a spaceship, and it's cool looking. And well, I, I mean, and it sounds really gnarly. So, what, why do too. people own a Benson Chase Bliss preamp, or you know, like me, have a CXM seventy eight? It's like because it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> like I, you know, I, I, I definitely went through a phase of like, no, pedal boards need to be practical, and I want everything to look really uniform. And 
now I'm like, no, if it's the right pedal, it sounds good. I'm just going to you know, shoehorn it in there, even if it is massive. Like, I could definitely probably put more pedals on my pedal board if I had more practical pedals. Um, but I'm like, that's ah, not the... It's not know, what I want. That's yeah. not what I want. Um, <laughs> I did, ha- and I have actually got a pedal board tucked away that I wired up, which has got three Moog pedals and the control processor on it. Yeah. Um, and it just sounds... The the crazy thing with that is because the freak box is an oscillator and then you've got a low-pass filter and a ring modulator, you can basically patch it into itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just... It just makes noise. So you're like, I don't even need to play guitar. I can just get it to make its own noise and then just walk away. <laughs> it's, it's all... It's like... It is like modular synthesis for... Um, for for guitar which is great but i think the one thing that i definitely miss and this is what i miss about coming to the us and something i'd love to do next time i was there is like we just don't have the kind of pawn shop kind of thing that you guys have over there and like hunting for gear in lots of those places like we just don't have that like we have we have pawn shops but they're just they're crappy. That, that's not. <laughs> that's not as much as not as much as it used to be. Because now with, the, you know, one of the downsides of the internet is all those people pretty much know what things cost now. Yeah. Uh, so they they uh, you can't find those deals quite like you used to be able to. Though listener Paul Marsh, shout out shout out Paul. He's a supporter of the show. Uh, he sent me a great deal that he got. I can't remember exactly what the price was, but it was a Analog Man modded uh, GE seven, right. and they priced it as a normal G7, which is not what they go for on Reverb if you have an Analog Man modded one. Yeah. They obviously just thought that the Analog Man was some random sticker that some kid put on there, but it's obviously Analog Mike, and everybody everybody knows all about that if you're listening to this show. So he got mm. a smoking deal on that because G7s are not, not an expensive pedal on the used market. So... We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. 
the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossy, I invite you to head over to chaseblintsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. It's, um, it's always the dream, isn't it, to like walk into somewhere and see something that someone had missed a a interesting story on a on a bit of gear that's not guitar related but is synthesized related someone that i work with um based in france so we have like something called gumtree which is basically like the same as uh craigslist okay and uh, he was on there and there was this guy selling this really crappy drum kit like a work like junk drum kit basically Mm -hmm. worth no money but in the corner of the picture, there was the last few yet letters and number of the Roland Jupiter 6, which is the baby brother of the Jupiter 8, which is one mm-hmm. of the most expensive Roland synthesizers you can buy. And uh, he was like, that's definitely a Roland Jupiter 6. And this guy was listing this drum kit for like 50 euros. So he messaged him when just by any chance in the background, is that a Roland Jupiter 6? And he was like, yes, why does everyone keep messaging me about this keyboard? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to sell this drum kit. And he was like, I've had people offer me like, all oh, this sort of crazy money. I don't know what it is. And it sort of like angered this guy because he was like, I just want to get rid of this junk Wouldn't drum you kit. as that guy nothing... go like, I wonder what a Roland Jupiter 6 yeah. is. I better Google it. So um, so eventually, <laughs> the the guy, my guy was like, look, you know, I'll be honest, it's this and this and this. And uh, he was like, you know, I'll be willing to come and take a look at it and, and, you know, tell you about it and then offer you a fair price. And they struck a deal. But it was one of those things where it's like, the guy had, he was just clearing out his, you know, his parents' house. And he was like, mm-hmm. His dad had bought it in like 1984 or whatever, and then just it lived up there for ages. So there's always that dream find that recently one of the sort of vintage guitar stores in the UK had a like one single owner 59 Les Paul that had been in the case, and like the guy had only ever got it out on Sundays and he only ever played for half an hour and he wouldn't let anyone touch it. And you just go, and then you know, you take it into a shop and they're like, Oh, yeah, we'll get like half a million dollars for this and you're just like whoa yeah but that's just it's just rare isn't it it's like like you say the internet it's like we have we don't have garage sales over here or garage sales as we would say we have Mm -hmm. car boots which you know it's kind of a similar thing but you just people know like if they've got a guitar they're gonna google the name on the headstock and then go i think this is expensive Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's 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 always good though when you do just see that one thing and you're like, hmm, you know. But then the honest and good natured person in me, if I saw someone with, you know, what I believe to be a fifty nine Les Paul at a, you know, junk sale, and he's selling it for a hundred bucks, are you going to be like, <laughs> there's going to be a part of you that's like, I want to take this for a hundred bucks. There's also part of you that's like, 
I should probably tell him how much money this is worth. It's I know that is the the dilemma, right? At, at some level, there's like the jerk part of me that's like, they have a cell phone, they can Google this too, but they mm. chose not to. Therefore, I am going to go ahead and take this off their hand. Yeah, but I don't actually think I'd be able to do it. There's certain things I'd be able to do it with. You know what I mean? It, mm. a fi- but a 59 less Paul for most people is a life changing amount of money. Yeah. And I don't think I could do that in good conscience. If it's somebody, you know, selling, a, yeah, you know, I don't know, insert, you know, if they're selling a silver screw, you know, OD one or something and they've got it for one hundred and fifty dollars, I'll be like, sure, you know, I'll get a good deal today. Mm. But but uh, I guess there's just levels to it, if that makes any sense. You know, if I saw a clone at a garage sale for three hundred dollars, I'd be very tempted just to take it because, you know, you could have Googled it. And... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'd say maybe clone is the base, the base level. So it's like, OK, clone or bus. Like if it's if it's worth more than what a clone's worth and someone's selling it for three hundred bucks, I'd be like, I'm definitely going to take that. Mm-hmm. Um, anything more than that. Very difficult. Very difficult. <laughs> Very difficult. Yeah, I don't think I could do it. I think that is indeed the level for me. It'd be yeah. Klon. Good deal on a Klon. I'm taking it. 59 less Paul. I'm going to have to say something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Just, I just have to, you know. Um, but uh, it's 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 with, with pedals now as well. I'm just like coming back to that, not selling anything. You just, I think, man, what have I got that could be worth? I was talking to a friend of mine and he was, he he's got a writing room in a studio. He's been there for like 20 years. He was clearing out a bunch of cabinets and drawers and, you know, being someone that does a lot of like studio and session work, he just buys stuff all of the time. Sure. And, uh, he was just like pulled out a drawer. He's like, Oh, open S TS 10. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> how much is this worth? And he's like, Oh, he's like, I think I bought this in 1990 for like, you know, 50 pounds. And now he's like, Oh, I can get like, 600 pounds <laughs> you know so it's pretty mad to think that there could be something in your collection that you know it's worth always going up in value i mean i was amazed how much my 88 made in japan paisley strat like oh, in really yeah. good condition they're going for like nearly two and a half three thousand pounds now you know, and they're only going to keep going up because they're going to get harder to find. People are going to see how much they're worth. They're not going to be selling as many. They're going to hold on to it. You know, obviously choke the supply, and you know the <laughs> demand's going to keep being there. So, you know, I think that's that's going to be. I mean, it's a forty-year-old guitar now, but I I think they're going to be four or five thousand pounds in the next ten years, probably. Um, it's it's weird how this stuff goes. I was just I just remembered. I've told this story on the podcast before, but my grandpa was probably one of the last people that this happened to because the internet was just starting to explode about mm. this time. He was watching Antiques Roadshow. Do you have Antiques Roadshow over there? Oh yeah. Oh okay, yeah. My, yeah. My dad watches it every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Antiques Roadshow. This was like two thousand. I don't know, 12, maybe 2011, somewhere in that ballpark. And on comes a guy with a guitar and it's a 1950s Les Paul Jr. And 
they're like, oh, do you know how much this is worth? Oh, no. And at the time it was worth, you know, around 10,000 or some somewhere in that ballpark. Mm. And it mm. kind of came down a little bit and then went back up. So it was somewhere in that ballpark. And he just looked at my grandma and was like, I have one of those. She's like, you do? He's like, yeah, that's that. That's what that guitar is in the closet. And he went out and got it. And the bridge was classically pulled forward as those tend to do over time. And then he you know, called me about it or I was over there doing something. And he's like, oh, yeah, this happened and uh, this guitar and it's worth this much. I'm like, I didn't know you had a 55 junior. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah. And, th- and he had a 61 champ and a 56 champ, too. Uh, so, yeah, he had all these cool old vintage guitars. I took the the guitar in and got it repaired for him and everything. When I brought it back to him, he's like, well, why don't you just keep it? So yeah, that's my that's my 55 junior back there. That was his guitar that he had for years. And there's pictures of him playing it and stuff. And but yeah, it was like totally spurred on by Antiques Roadshow. He probably would have forgot that it was in his closet. Yeah. And then you might have found <laughs> it like another 20 years later and then gone. Oh, my God, I'm rich. Um, <laughs> well, the, it was funny is he had the cl- he. After all of this, he told me a story about him talking to one of my dad's friends about it. And, you mm. know, the finish is all checked, right? Mm. which is great. And he was like, yeah, it's kind of finished. is kind of cracked. I'm thinking about having somebody reap spray it. And he was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. He's like, but it's cracked. It doesn't look that good. Like do not refinish that guitar under any circumstances. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Isn't it? It's like, I remember going to, um, it was like an antiques show or something like that, but like a really high end one. So my wife used to to work on one, and they had like one of the first electric cars from like the Whoa. early 1900s, and it was like mm-hmm. a barn find, and it still had like all the leaves in it and stuff. And they're like, "Why aren't you doing it up?" And they're like, "Because it's worth so much money now, it would be pointless because you spend all the money." I was like, "People want the way the condition it is in, you know." And mm-hmm. it's that same thing. It's like. Yeah, people don't want a brand new looking 60s Strat. They want to, you know, feel the and see the the age on it. And it's and it Absolutely. is bizarre. It is bizarre, but yeah, I it's it is cool to think you can't change it. That that is how it is, and it's worth less money if you do anything to it. <laughs> it's worth like significantly less if you refin a, a vintage guitar. It's crazy how much it. It's not crazy. I get it. I'd rather have an original finish too but mm. if from a practical standpoint it's still the same guitar as long as you did a good job on the refin but you know hey yeah us guitarists are as we discussed very impractical people yeah yeah mm. ab- absolutely um i guess it's i i mean that's the thing I, i'm sort of not into the amp world of things but i'd imagine it probably gets the same with amps like people dive super nerdy into like oh my God, you've changed these caps and this, that, and the other, and now it's worth no money. Um, An unfortunate thing with amps is you have to, or it doesn't work. Well, yeah. You know? yeah. That's, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you've got to do it eventually. So I think finding something that's like unused um, is, yeah, almost impossible, really. Yeah, um, I just got a Silvertone Twin 12 here recently, and it's mostly original. It'd been gone through by a tech and... Everything is in good shape for now, but at some point it's going to need some things replaced. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things that you want to stop turning on at some point because you're just like, I'll just, 
I just want it to to live a life where I don't have to do spend any money on it or do anything to it. It um, sounds so good, though. I just love it. I'm I know, playing it all the time. Always, and I think, to be honest, that's the difficult thing with you know really old pedals now. You mm-hmm. know, and certainly things like um, you know some of the early Boss pedals, like the you know the BF One Flanger, like some of the early Roland synths, uh, and a lot of other things from that era. It's like the parts. They never thought those products would last for people would be using them 40 years on, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of those things, those parts start to die. Like I was talking just... to Wampler about this. He said at mm. some point the capacitors in those pedals will dry out and will not or well, they just won't work anymore. Yeah. So so they're gonna have to replace some of those things if they want them to remain functional. Yeah. And the reality is those parts haven't been made in a very long time. So you're gonna have to get something that is similar, but it won't be identical if you want that that yeah. pedal to continue to function. It'll be a, it will be a different thing. But yeah, that's why I guess you're seeing like a more digital technology. But like you say, I don't think it it will ever it will ever die because I think there will be always a hankering for that old school stuff but i think the generation in which people lust after will change i think Mm -hmm. as people now who are getting into guitar won't necessarily because of the kind of guitarist they're into and the kind of technology around today won't necessarily be going i want a 59 les paul i i honestly think it will be it will be different it will be people like who are 10 now getting in to polyphia going i can't afford a tim henson signature and in 20 years they're like i'm gonna go back and buy that first edition tim henson guitar and they're gonna be like crazy money (laughs) yep and they're gonna go i want to use the vintage plug-in that tim henson yeah yeah i've got uh, it's like it's like um again like coming back to that sort of retro gamer thing you know i'm in some ways i'm glad i'm not retro gamer because you know you've got people out there it's like Oh yeah, I've got like a Windows 95 machine that's never been connected to the internet. So, you know, it runs a perfect, you know, two meg RAM processor or whatever. <laughs> so you can play, you know, your old PC games on it. It's like, yeah, I can't can't play an emulation. It's like an emulation is good enough. It's like if it's not the same as playing the real thing. And it's like you probably have people out there go, Well, I've got to run a 2015 MacBook Pro so I can have the first, you know version of neural dsp on it that's right because that's um, the og that's what all my guitar heroes use that's what i'm gonna use yeah exactly (laughs) so who knows when we're doing this podcast again in uh 20 years time we shall review that's right from there that's right we will oh it's gonna be way we're gonna get you on way quicker than than this last cycle this was yeah let's 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 make it a more uh let's make it a more regular thing and hopefully a trip a trip out to America at some point soon would is very much needed, and of course would would want you out in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now you know now that your strings are over here as well. You know you can come and see them in in real shops. That's right. You've That's got a re- you've got a business reason to put it on the company expenses. <laughs> I'll talk to Scott about that later today yeah. when I tell him I'm gonna just be using the Amex for this. Yeah, I'm just gonna yeah, have I'm to going to be okay with it. I'm going to England. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wish I could do the same, but it's not as easy. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, we'll make it happen. So <laughs> indeed. So so Matt, I I can't remember your answers to the classic question. It's been so long since you came on. <laughs> yeah, and since, can I? Since, 
And since your role is expanded and now you have a, a better understanding of the entire boss lineup, I think it'll be mm. fun to explore. Okay. But what, Hit me. But, but, so what is your favorite, as it sits right now, favorite boss battle? Ah, I knew that question was going to come. Um, and I was like, what is the answer to my favorite boss pedal? Um, I'll give you two answers. I will give you a current boss pedal. Okay. And I will give you a vintage boss pedal. Fair enough. Um, for the corporate shill in me and then the love of the, uh, the, the vintage boss. So my favorite current boss pedal and has been for a long time is the vb2 mm-hmm. um the vb2w i just think from a vibrato point of view it's really simple it sounds super sweet i love that kind of um neo soul kind of vibe like very much like tom Meesh. i don't know how big he is in the us but his that kind of guitar sounds just love using it on everything uh, mm-hmm. and it's all analog and it's one of the, it was really one of the most misunderstood boss pedals. I had the chance to buy an original one for basically nothing when I worked in a secondhand department in store. And I was like, oh yeah, I think boss made them for a while. Like, I think eBay was a, you know, people just started using eBay. They were like 50 bucks. I was like, I was like, oh, I'll give you like 30 bucks for it. And the guy was like, oh, I might as well just keep it. And obviously now, well, the story I will tell was when I did my first <laughs> when I did my first NAM, and I don't know if you re- remember that I think that was the first time we met in person. So this was NAM twenty seventeen, and was we that, had that was your first NAM. I think that okay. was my first NAM. Yeah, so because I started in August twenty sixteen, we had every single compact in chronological order. I remember that. Yep. Um, and the only one the US team didn't have was the VB2 because they couldn't find one. And then they found a guy in like San Diego that had one. He was like, I want 500 bucks for it. <laughs> and they're just like, <laughs> okay. It's like, you know, and they, they go for you very, I can't remember the last time I saw one for sale secondhand. Um, so I think the VB2 is great. And I, I would, recommend anyone get one of those if you want a really cool modulation my favorite vintage boss pedal at the moment is the v the ft2 dynamic filter um Mm -hmm. which again was a boss pedal that i think we only made for about 18 months um and it was the the pedal on from the auto no the touch wire do we make the touch wire then the filter i can't remember but it's a very mid focused very vocal auto wire uh where you can change the the filter cuff cut off and frequency um but it was also had a it has a manual input that you can turn it into a wire pedal but as an auto wire it has the sound that I was searching for. And I've tried so many and so many also was tried to do too many clever things. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I want it to sound like basically I want an auto wire that sounded like Frank Zappa. Okay. Uh, Frank Zappa <laughs> uses a he used a Sistec harmonic energizer, quite a rare pedal from like the seventies, which was like an octave, a filter and a fuzz all in one. Whoa. Um, and I think they someone made a reissue of them. I can't remember the name of the company. Um, but that's the closest I've come to that. So you mix it with a fuzz, 
and it just sounds wicked. So VB2W and FT2 dynamic filter. Are my, like two, are my two answers for that for that one. <laughs> I don't think that was... I don't remember exactly what your answer I was. I have no I, idea what my, but my, I, my answer was last time. I, I Maybe we weren't even asking... Or we. Like there's someone else here. Maybe I wasn't even asking that question. It might have been that long ago. Because that started around, I think, 100 and, 115 or so. Right. When I started asking that question. Have you, um, have you tallied all the answers that have ever been given? I, I a listener what... has been doing that. And I haven't had contact with him in a little while, but I'm I'm pretty sure that he got all the way back. So, wow. yeah, uh, he sent me a photo. He was literally writing them down on a piece of paper. So I, I need to get with them and see if he was able to complete that or not. Because I, uh, I would be interested to see, yeah, what the outcome of that Lots of TU too. I can tell you that. Yeah. Lots of TU too. Well, <laughs> that's definitely the safe answer. Uh, lots of um, uh, the PS uh, PS3 and PS6. That's pretty common. I was going to say PS3. I've got a PS3 here. That might have um, been what you said, actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, one of my. I mean, I've got a lot of old boss pedals here. Um, and it's difficult to pick one, but that's the one that I'm enjoying the most right now. So that's mm -hmm. the answer I will give for, for that. <laughs> we'll see where Fair we are enough. in two years' time or three minutes' time. <coughs> All right, final question. What is your pizza preferences these days? <laughs> Why didn't I think of this sooner? Um, so interesting story before that. we Last time I was in America, was it last time time before, I had my first deep dish pizza in mm -hmm. echo park in anaheim and they were like oh it takes 45 minutes i'm like what <laughs> how big is this pizza <laughs> and um there's a place that opened in london that we went to for my birthday last year that has started doing that and it was amazing but everyone i went with hated it because they were like no it's too much and i was like no it's the best um in England, especially, there's a real culture now. Like, there's so many like boutique pizza places. I guess mm -hmm. you would say, like, you know, real thin base, crispy, um, you know, kind of fancy pizzas. Yeah, totally. um, I guess. But to give, I, I've got a kind of couple of answers. But actually, I had a pizza the other day, and the pizza that we enjoy the most at the moment. Um, is the pizza that we make ourselves. So Amy mm -hmm. makes a really good pizza recipe. And you make dough in batches that make enough for eight pizzas, and then we freeze it. Mm -hmm. And then when you want it, you can just unfreeze it, and then you just roll it out, and away you go. But at the moment, very much uh, enjoying a pepperoni, anchovies, and then... Uh, I guess jalapenos, you know, which, right. they're just like, like green pickles in a jar. Um, <laughs> so what's that close to American hot with anchovies? <laughs> um, but man, if you came and had pizza in England, I, I, I don't know. Is, is it, do you get a lot of Italian pizza, like true Italian thin based pizza where you are? Or is it in Portland? We have American? several. Yeah, we have several of those around here, but I don't know how common they are. Portland's a real foodie town, mm. so I'm not sure how 
how spread out that is. I know it's definitely it's it's fairly common in like New York. Obviously, has its own style, but they also have that kind of wood fired Italian thing going on. Mm. Right here in in my town where I live, actually, there's a place called Mi Familia, and that was the first time I realized that pizza could be kind of gourmet <laughs> and boutique. You know, up yeah. till then, I just was like, all pizza is good, right? And I went there for the first time. They've been open like 15 years now, I think. And that was my first experience with that Italian wood-fired style pizza. And I was mm. like, oh, 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 oh it, this is a different thing. It really re- it, like ignited my love for good pizza. Do you know, it's uh, it's interesting because actually uh, thinking about it, I would say it's very difficult to get a American like deep pan pizza over here. There's no way of doing like, you, you could get, there's this, like I said, there's this place that does deep dish and it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um. This is kind of an interesting thing because actually, pizza fact for you, which I'm sure you'll take away, England is the is the most expensive place in the world, I think, to buy a Domino's pizza. Really? So a small Domino's pizza over here is. I'm going to give it to you in dollars because that's probably going to blow your mind more, isn't it? Okay. Um, a small. And like obviously, a small in England topping. is small because, uh, you know, obviously you have slightly different sizes in the US. $18? <laughs> what? Yeah. $18? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to... So, now granted, the pizza I was just referring to is is smaller. Uh, they're 12-inch thin crust, so I eat a whole one myself. It's a fair bit of food, to be fair. It's not like, oh, I... I could easily eat two of those. It's it's a, a full one, and I'm full. Um, yeah. So, but if, they're if, like fourteen, and they're like some. It's like some bougie stuff. Like it's you know they're getting they're making their own sausage. They're doing all kinds of stuff. So eighteen dollars for a Domino's is blowing my mind. Wow, that's so crazy. What's the what's the most basic Domino's pepperoni passion? Pe- yeah, probably pepperoni passion. So yeah. we they come in three sizes or four sizes now. You can actually get a personal, which is like a mini one. Yeah, small like a is nine inch and a half. or something. Yeah, yeah, small is nine and a half, medium is 11 and a half, and large is 13 and a half. So a large pepperoni passion is 23 pounds. So that is $28. What? <laughs> and that's before you've done anything to it. So um, it's really difficult to get that. So there's a lot more like, yes, stone you know stone baked pizzas over here um but about three or four months ago we did go to pizza hut and it was glorious so i can't I deny have, that pizza the, hut is great the last time i had pizza it was not glorious so i i maybe you got it a little better over there mm, yeah okay so i think crunchy... it was just trashy <laughs> it, was just, it was a trashy experience and that's what i wanted okay well that i mean that makes sense yeah so i'm just going i I'm just looking at this real quick here. It looks like Domino's for a thin crust medium 12 inch would be $7.99. So $8. Mad. I'm so glad I don't live in America. <laughs> for that reason. Being a lot of Domino's pizza. Um, so, yeah. So, Domino's is insanely expensive over here. So, yeah, we have a lot. We have a very, very different pizza culture. I guess. Yeah, that's wild. Domino's is like, oh, I guess I'll go to Domino's. That said, Domino's is a lot better than it used to be. Mm. I don't well, know if I you was... remember their their campaign they did in like 
2012, probably. They basically, at least here, I don't know if they did this worldwide. Here, they basically did a whole ad campaign being like, we heard you. We know that our pizza sucks and we're going to make it better. And they actually did make it better. So, you know, kudos to Domino's. No, our uh, our Domino's adverts are very different. Um, very hard to explain, but I'll, I'll send you some. Over, I'll send you some over text. That sounds good, man. Well, hey, uh, we've been talking for a long time, but hopefully, you have a little bit of talk left in you for Patreon. Is that going to work? Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. I'll um, I'll top myself up with some water and I'll uh, I'll come back. All right, sounds good. All right, everybody. For Matt, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, there you have it. There's another episode in the can. And don't worry, if you need more of that chat, guess where you can find it? Over on Patreon. Matt and I go, I don't know, we go for quite a bit longer. I want to say we go for like another 45 minutes. There is a lot more gear talk over there. There's a lot more random talk over there. And I think you will really enjoy it. Plus, it truly, 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 truly helps support the show so much. It's one of the biggest things you can do. If you've gotten any ounce of value out of this, if you think you'd like more, or if you simply just don't want to hear the ads in the middle of the episodes anymore, you can go over to patreon.com and I promise you it helps out so, so, so much. For five bucks a month, you get access to the ad-free stream and the extra episodes. For three bucks a month, you just get the ad-free episodes, which some people have found worth their time. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you for hanging out. I appreciate you, and please stay tuned to the Gun Street socials and the Tone Mob socials because there's something really rad dropping in just a few days as this podcast is released. So thank you all so much. I appreciate you, and I'll be talking to you on the internet very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.